0: to take your retail business to the next level today, that's Shopify.com/system.
1: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly—it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all.
0: They're hypervigilant about taking care of their kid. And so we know what that's like for our nervous systems to kind of live in that high state of arousal. So looking at where are you as a parent? So one Mm -hmm. of the hardest things we do as parents, you know, we know this is to watch your child suffer and know there's really nothing you can do about it or what you can do about it is doesn't feel adequate enough Um, because you can't stop it. So to walk the journey with them and to be there with empathy and openness and that grounded kind of regulation piece yourself, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we know number one is we don't want our parental distress to amplify our child's distress.
1: Welcome to the Parent Footprint podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host. And let me tell you a little bit about Parent Footprint. At Parent Footprint, we believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives happiness, health, and engagement. Additionally, we believe that awareness is the foundation of your vision of successful parenting, and with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show, we are talking about teens living with chronic disease, a very important topic. I am excited to introduce you to our guest and expert, Christine Triano. Christine is a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist specializing in the treatment of adolescents, adults, families, and creative professionals. Her strength-based approach ensures that counseling addresses not just what's going wrong, but identifies and nurtures what is going right, which I love. Christine is the Director of Mental Health at the Center for Connection, which is a multidisciplinary practice in Pasadena, California, where she helps lead the center's vibrant multidisciplinary team as they work to support one another, collaborate together, and continue to learn and grow as clinicians. And I could tell everyone, this is an amazing organization with amazing people and professionals. Christine holds a Master's in Social Work from Cal State LA and a Bachelor's of art cumlate in political science from tufts she's a proud native new yorker and has enjoyed many years as a writer media consultant and documentary film and television producer before earning her msw she continues to pursue her passion for storytelling through documentary projects highlighting the importance of connection and community And as a writer and co-producer of Lost Angels, Skid Row is My Home, she received the Voice Award from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, known as SAMHSA, for educating the public about the experiences of people in recovery from mental health illness. And more recently, she wrote and co-produced the 2016 documentary feature Los Punks, We Are All We Have, chronicling the vibrant DIY punk rock scene in East and South Los Angeles. Christine is clearly a very vibrant and creative person who is reaching across realms uh, Christine I'm excited to talk to you this today
0: hi Dan I am thrilled to be here thank you for that lovely intro it's, it's just a pleasure and um, big fan of your show and love 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 the message of building that awareness as as parents on um, I have two teenage boys myself and it's so much a part of my work that I do with families too. Well,
1: thank you. And for everyone, there was so much more for me to talk tell you about, Christine. And she has so much to say that I needed to cut that actually short. Um, but again, I, this the whole idea about your center um, and multidisciplinary and collaborative in nature and that also seems to be the way you live your life as well uh, through and through.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the center came about, I had been in the professional study group of Tina Payne Bryson, who's been a guest on your show and the the author, co-author of several books, including The Whole Brain Child, um, amazing parenting books. And I had started my own private practice and I was so lonely. Um, I thought it was like what my goal was and I get my office and I decorated it. And then I sat there and thought, I just hate this. And that's when Tina put out a call saying, you know, I'm going to start a practice to put, you know, to actually walk the talk that we're all studying here about connected relationships and connected brains. Um, and I was like, sign me up, I'm in. So that was a little over four years ago, and we've grown. And you know, it's the place I wish existed when my 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 son was young.
1: Absolutely, and um, I'm with you. I share this. I I, sh- I have a, had a similar path as a professional, um, and the need to connect and collaborate. And I just walking into your guys' center, you 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 feel like you're at home, right? So it's just. Yeah. You've really created home um, in a strength-based way for people to um, heal and grow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so much isolation as a parent. And and there's some of what I think we'll talk about today is that um, as a caregiver or a parent of a child who's struggling, whether it's emotional, you know, mental health, you know, uh, the, the collateral effects of a physical illness, there's there's a lot of loneliness and feeling like I have to be the general contractor and the CEO, figuring out this project, and running all over town looking for the right resources, and this is a, an att- you know an attempt to go you know we've got you you have a team, and we're going to help you manage this, and and walk that you know walk mm-hmm. the journey with you and the whole family,
1: and. As we know, as clinicians and as uh, people and parents, there's so many different ways that uh, life uh, can throw us challenges and curveballs, and among those is chronic disease. And um, we're going to be talking about your experiences in treating and helping folks with chronic disease, and I, we both want to note that it is National Eczema Awareness Month, and with a focus on that particular issue, there is an initiative that I'd like you to uh, describe to us, known as AD, um, and you can tell us what that is and the impact that it has on some of your clients.
0: Sure. So um, you know, I kind of want to I- I'm going to start a little bit wider and go. I- I'm a bit of an outlier. And that I love teenagers. And if you sit in a room full of adults, or especially therapists, and they say, Oh, you work with teenagers, you kind of get like, people visibly step back. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I, I, I love this age and stage. I think it's an amazing time of growth and discovery and possibility. I have, a, you know, 16 and, and almost 19-year-old and, and my house is like that house, you know, where <laughs> all the friends are here and they eat all our snacks and it kind of smells like dirty gym socks when <laughs> they, they clear. Um, but I love having them around. But, you know, but at the same time, there's no way... I'd voluntarily go back to my teenage years. <laughs> and, and, you know, when I find if you pull any given room pool of adults that you, and you say, you know, would you rel- relive your teen years if you had the chance, you will, uh, you will rarely find any hands shooting up, um, you know? And, you know, and we know like, why is that? It's, it's a, hard, it's, it's a painful age and stage too. Um, so it can be really incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the social relationships become really important. Identity is being explored and formed. And there's, you know, it's really common, and there's a lot of neurobiological reasons for this, to feel really self-conscious. So, this gets us to what's called atopic dermatitis, um, otherwise known as eczema. Um, we're kind of talking about moderate to severe eczema. Mm-hmm. Um so this is a chronic skin disease. It emerges in, um, usually in you know early life before the age of two. And there is no cure. And we know it affects about 400,000 teenagers in the U.S. and that there's just this kind of myriad effects of living with a chronic disease. So going through this stage of the teenage years with an unpredictable um, uh, chronic condition, that flares up and is visible to everyone around you. Mm -hmm. So looking different that like, you know, if you think about being a teenager, what's the thing you want to do the least is kind of stand out in a way that can be perceived as negative. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's what uh, the initiative is about uh, for, you know, national eczema awareness month is to understand AD and to create, um, you know, a, a, something of a roadmap to, uh, to help, of how to help families and teenagers with this condition, figure out how to, you know, live and thrive
1: mm-hmm. despite,
0: the, despite the disease. Um,
1: and this shares similarities, I'm guessing, with um, the same principles for some of the other chronic diseases that you work with.
0: So there's certain things that are similar and, of course, some that are different. Mm-hmm. But if I think about the teens I've worked with who have um, had rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, maybe Crohn's, maybe IBS, um, these kind of chronic conditions that flare and uh, are, are kind of misunderstood, too, mm-hmm. um, you know, what it's like to live with that. What's the level of. Pain or discomfort, or um, you know, embarrassment, um, sleepless nights—a big thing um, with many of these conditions. With eczema, the itching leads to right, right, sleepless nights, and you know, because it's a deep, deep itching that can't be scratched really, you know, mm-hmm. to to satisfaction. So, if we think about our kids and kind of our You know, developmental needs and where we start, you know, at the center when we're talking to a family, one of the first questions at any age of the kid is how how do they sleep, you know, and how long and what's the quality of that sleep? Because we know mental and emotional wellness is built on a foundation of good sleep. So...
1: And, you know, and this is this is I'm glad everyone is finally talking about the importance of sleep instead of skipping over that and going straight to all the other questions that we have always asked over the years. Right. It's like it's it's foundational to functioning.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I think we're finally awakening to that as adults, too. Mm-hmm. Um, That it's not, it's not really a, a badge of status to go like I'm so busy and I get five hours of sleep a night, right. and you know that that's like oh yeah I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> How can we can we talk about that and prioritize that? So that you know that's one thing you see kids missing out on, and the other is just missing out on a lot of the moments or activities that are supposed to be part of that ideal adolescent experience. So Mm -hmm. what are the extracurriculars or the sports or the birthday parties or the trips to the beach? Um, you know, where there's so many, you know, a birthday party in the park. So a child that has IBS or Crohn's is like, well, where's the bathroom? You know, what, what's that going to look like? Am I going to feel secure in that setting? Um, uh, a kid with eczema, it's hot and it's sunny and there's bugs and there's allergens and all of those can be triggers for a flare up. So
1: I'm starting to itch. as basic as that. Just listening to you and I'm thinking about a client that I just saw actually last week on home, home not planned from freshman year uh, for a whole bunch of medical appointments because of a complete flare of his eczema, you know, freshman year, first month, in the dorms, making new friends, in the clubs, and his, his just whole face and body is just lit up, right, with agitation, wow. and um, it's just timely, and just to, to I mean, to, empath- to have the empathy for the kids that are living in their bodies that are behaving in ways that make things really hard.
0: Yeah, I feel – oh, that's exactly – so that's kind of the kind of client that I might see too is the the young adult who has to take that leave from college for Mm – hmm whatever reason so right so he's it sounds like he was doing well and he got there and socially and emotionally and maybe academically he was kind of hitting his marks but something in that environment triggered
1: mm-hmm. triggered
0: him and even the stress of the change you know because even we know even a desired change is stressful um mm-hmm. it can be a healthy dose of stress but it's still a form of stress So I'm really sorry to hear that, and so there's misunderstanding about that too because there's not a widespread realization about how severe eczema can be. Mm -hmm. You know, kids with teenagers with eczema miss, uh, you know, they miss so many weeks of school in a year on average. I think it's three or four weeks of school. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and more than that, we have. Nearly half, you know, 45 to 50-ish percent self-reporting, which, you know, we know that's likely underreported, that they've been bullied because of their AD, that they can't keep up with their homework because of it, that they feel depressed when they have a flare-up, you know, that they're worried about being seen in public when they have a flare. So, those are really high numbers.
1: So, you talk about sleep as being essential. What are the other... Areas that it, when you are working with a family, wh- what go down the list of the, the other essentials that you are honing in on?
0: Sure. So, um, uh, you know, at the centerpiece of the understand AD campaign is a family, a 17 year old young man, Isaiah and his parents, Lori and Reggie and uh, getting to work with them for this, uh, this campaign I, I kind of focused in on what I would do with almost any family in looking at, you know, what are the pieces that's gonna that's gonna help you you parent effectively um, mm-hmm. through the developmental just the normal challenges of teenage right. years and this the chronic disease piece. And what's gonna help Isaiah, you know, we know this age he needs to start. Like any teen, to differentiate and individuate, and um, you know, while maintaining that healthy open linkage to the mm-hmm. family who's coming from. So, with families, you know, one of the first steps I take after we're talking about these pieces, like we're looking at sleep, um, is I'm also starting about like let's just slow down. Let's just slow everything down and check in with where we are right now. That peace, that awareness that you talk about, because so many of the, the families, by the time they get to me, they have been carrying that backpack full of heavy rocks up the hill for years. You know, they have just right. been, they have just been running like that ultra marathon because they're, they're hypervigilant, you know, about taking care of their kid and so we know what that's like for a nervous systems to kind of live in that high state of arousal so looking at you know where, where are you as a parent so one mm-hmm. of the hardest things we do as parents you know we know this is to watch your child suffer and know there's really nothing you can do about it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know or what you can do about it is doesn't feel adequate enough because um, you can't stop it so, you know, to show, to, to, to walk the journey with them and to be there with empathy and openness and that grounded kind of regulation piece yourself, um, mm-hmm. you know, we know that, you know, number one is we don't want our parental distress to amplify our child's distress.
1: Yes, please say that again. Like this is right. So in line with what we are lined on and parent footprint. So please say that again.
0: Okay. So, right. So what we're looking for is to not have our parental distress, amplify our child's distress.
1: Exactly. And that's hard in these situations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I will say this when I'm working with parents I'll say, I'm going to ask you to just to do something that's going to feel, um, physiologically, neurobiologically, emotionally impossible, Mm -hmm. uh, and and which is not to chase your child up the tree, Mm. you know, but to stay there feet on the ground going, I'm here. I've got you. Um, so hard,
1: so hard, but holding that in a sense, it's hard. You know, we all it's, it's sort of this for lack of a, better concept, like a metaphysical holding energetically, if we can hold this sort of calm space in the face of the stress and the, the distress, right? Like how to just be there in this calm, open place, despite all of the real challenges in the situation.
0: Yes, I love that description, like a calm metaphysical space, because there is that aspect to it. It's you know, and there's a lot of different practices to help us get there, and a lot of you know, there's a lot of mindfulness and there's self compassion, and there's um, you know, kind of meditation. <laughs> there's all these ways, mm-hmm. just using our breath as a neurobiological regulator, mm-hmm. kind of learning how to do that, but just having um. I'll talk about bubble wrap, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of like getting your bubble wrap on is this idea of just having a little bit of space between yourself and the big feeling. So, you know, it's protective, but you can kind of see through it. Um, This kind of works with teenagers. Uh, But you know, whatever kind of visual might work for you, so that you can be in there and, and able to do your job, which is to give that empathy to your kid, to kind of provide the safe container Mm -hmm. when they're going through the hard thing. Uh,
1: And this dilemma as you hit on with the appropriate developmental um, stages and phases of individuation um, and separation, and yet needing extra care that someone without, a teen without chronic illness would not need at this phase in life.
0: Yes. So that that part is that part gets kind of confusing because, you know, a lot of with a a child who doesn't have a chronic illness, I may be talking to the teenager and to their family about like, okay, where are we going to step back and help scaffold them up to taking more responsibility for their own care? I kind of have, you know, even a list of things like. Uh, because on the other end of this, like, I work with young adults who come home from college because they really weren't prepared. They need to mm-hmm. take that leave because maybe they were had a 4.5 GPA <laughs> and they were super high achievers and they got into the school of their dreams, but uh, they never had to do a load of laundry or... Kind of make a doctor's appointment, or they don't know when they're sick and when to go to the doctor's appointment. Like how sick means go to the infirmary or the nurse. Um, Some really kind of wider aspects of self care, or you know how to um, find the support you need if you are Mm -hmm. struggling emotionally. So, kind of looking at what are the what are the things we're going to give you responsibility for, and what are the tolerable experiments? Um, Having some experience of failure before you you launch. It's really important to build resilience. Um, so the super achiever who never fails and gets to college and then gets to see on a quiz, that might really trigger a, a huge stress response because it feels catastrophic. Um, yep. So <laughs> add in chronic illness, there's a little more risk there. What are the tolerable experiments might change because um, you know, if I have a, a, a parent of a child with eczema, like we're um, working with Isaiah and his parents, you know, Mom and Dad are like, if he does not putting on that lotion several times a day to keep his skin with that protective barrier, um, that can lead to the dryness and the cracking, and then that makes him vulnerable to infection. And you know what happens when there's infection Well he's in the hospital and then he gets a secondary MRSA virus. and and that and that has been the case several times in his life. So, trusting, uh, you know, trusting that child with the chronic illness to start to take over some aspects of their care, um, um, while kind of overseeing it is a delicate balance. But, you know, teenagers don't want to be told 10 times a day to do anything. No. Even if it's actually a matter of their health and well-being. Mm -hmm. So, that's kind of a careful negotiation. And so, what I always encourage is, this needs to be a collaborative discussion, um, So, um, at the center, we'll talk about, you know, and in Tina and Dan's work, command and demand parenting versus, you know, kind of a more collaborative approach. So, we don't want to command and demand. You have to, you know, you have to take care of yourself these certain ways. Um, uh, With kids with gastrointestinal illnesses, a lot of it comes up around food and diet. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have to eat differently. But I just want to eat pizza. I'm 15, you know. Um, so figuring out what, what can you get buy-in for, what will they take over and really making a big fuss about recognizing the effort to start to Uh take over care and, and practice those skills.
1: I want to highlight a few things that you've said there, which are so important. Um, stepping back the tolerating, um, tolerable experiments to create resilience and i I love that like what's tolerable knowing we need to build that muscle it doesn't just come and uh some kids as you say teens go away to college with more experiences of resilience than others uh when we have a chronic illness it's added levels of complexity uh and self-care needed whereas someone can just have a lot of pizza and Pepsi and be fine. And someone else with a certain sort of chronic um, GI challenge cannot. And, and that's, that's tough, right? They just want to be regular. They just want to be normal. Um, and then this idea of let's collaborate on your health, what the doctors say you need, and how can you do this? And how can we support you in a way that is comfortable for you.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, that idea that like, like they just want to be normal, right? They just want to mm-hmm. fit in. So, bringing your kid, you know, going into those doctor's appointment, you're still going in with them, of course, you know, until uh, very possibly beyond eighteen if there's a chronic illness. But making sure you're have you're checking in beforehand. What do you want to talk to the doctor about today? Don't charge in and, and take over, or you know, try not to talk for your kid, but let them start to advocate, ask their questions, you know, formulate the idea that this is something they can start to take some agency over. There's by the time uh, you know a child, especially eczema, you know. So I'm going to go back to the example of Isaiah, who was diagnosed when he was in preschool you know, that's kind of like, we know what that's like. We can probably recall when you're a child, you're just kind of like put in the car and dragged around and you got to be here and you got to go there. And there's kind of almost a, you know, kind of just, you go with the flow, uh, you know, because the adults are in charge. Um, So starting to shift that, you're at the table now, Um, you know, what's your experience? What are your concerns? What are your questions? And they might be really different than what your concerns are as a parent
1: as As you're um talking about this, and I'm thinking about the levels of complexity, uh, if you could I know this is an if, but if you could distill what you think are the few essential ideas for parents, of teens with chronic? challenges chronic health challenges what would you say would be the 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 balls for them to focus on those the the guiding sort of principles and um just ideas that they can keep in their head as they're dealing with what we call the the trees you know the weeds of the day-to-day yeah
0: yeah so one you know one is I would say that it's that slowing down, it's that checking in and doing that inner work to be present for the small moments. Uh, and that kind of connects to where is the shared joy? Where are the moments where the, you know, there's family connection, where the disease isn't part of the discussion or in even in the side view where we can just, connect as a family and, and maybe insert some gratitude practice into what Mm -hmm. those things are. Um, We know the research is there that really supports practicing gratitude as, you know, building resilience and hope. So putting that in there, not making it the headline on everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things is a lot of families have, you know, there's multiple siblings. So there's not just one child with a chronic illness. There's another one too. So, trying to zoom out and have that bigger picture and, and trust that there's, there's still a lot of good.
1: Right. A lot of good outside of the very real disease.
0: Yes. That it's Mm -hmm. part of the story, but not the whole Mm -hmm. story. Um, uh, You know, so the second is to look at, what are the priorities day to day and, and take some time to kind of plan out what the week is. So the basics of sleep and good food and social connection and reflective downtime and play time. So important figure Mm -hmm. out how to do that. And it might be a little more complicated again, if there's chronic disease. So thinking of kind of the play time and the connected family time, um, a family like Isaiah's because of his flares growing up, even though he loved the beach, the beach in the summer was too fraught with risk for flair, but the beach in the fall, when you might be bundled up, but you're still getting out and looking at the water and having some time on the beach that was doable. Mm -hmm. So what, what can we make work? And, and still find connected time and connected playtime and shared joy. Um, and the third one is really doing that piece where you start to engage your teenager in being part of their care management mm-hmm. and part of the decisions and, and holding back the reactivity when they say, you know, I live in, like I live in California and they say, I want to go to school on the East coast,
1: <laughs> yep. you
0: know, instead of jumping out of your skin immediately going, you can't go that far away. <laughs> your doctors are here. And what if you get sick, you know, just kind of holding it and with openness and curiosity mm-hmm. and not a rush to reactivity and going, well, that, I, that sounds cool. Tell me about that.
1: Yes, openness and uh, always being in these situations with college as well. It's realizing there's so many things that have to happen to end up with an acceptance and an actual, uh, yes, I'm going there. that it's so important to let our kids go on this personal journey without us putting up an immediate stop sign, like engage in the process of inquiry.
0: Yes, yes. Yes. Openness and curiosity because they Mm -hmm. say it and we know teenagers say a lot of things that don't actually ever happen because they're supposed to because they have big ideas and they're not afraid to be idealistic and unrealistic. And Mm -hmm. and that's what's awesome about them.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay, Christine, it is time for the parent footprint moment question. It always comes up too fast. So tell us about a time. That you became aware of yourself as an individual or parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child?
0: Ah, I'm so excited to get a parent footprint moment. <laughs> um, you know, so thinking about this, uh, I had to go to kind of a, a, a teenage par- parenting teenager moment. Um, so when I was in high school, when I was a teenager, I got good grades. That was relatively easy for me. I derived a lot of my self-worth from being academically successful. Um, and I fast forward. And I have these two boys. And my when my eldest, he'll be 19 next month. But when he was in high school, we were really struggling a lot. Um, he's a brilliant kid. But he's not a great student. And, you know, through various uh, learning differences. So, Who was IEP? He had this wonderful learning specialist all through high school, Mr. Ross, who was Mm -hmm. my good buddy and frequent texting friend. um, Because (laughs) together we were, you know, part of the team trying to help my son get through school. And he described um, Owens. I said, you know, one day we're in IEP meeting. He said, it must be kind of like having a Ferrari stuck in second gear Mm -hmm. to have that that brain and that made this big impression on me. Um, but, you know, I still I still really wanted him to show what he knows. So the day of the PSAT, this is on my mind because my younger son's taking the PSAT today. So it came up last night and I was trying to think of this. Um, you know, it's an important test. It's only given once. You know, you send them off with a healthy breakfast. And I'm at work and I'm wondering how it's going. And I get a photo um, texted from Mr. Ross of my son sleeping on his desk <laughs> while the other kids are taking the test. All right. So oh, I. Uh, deep and, breath, uh,
1: deep breath. Yeah.
0: In the parlance of kind of a whole brain child, I flipped my lid. Yep. You know, like it went flying off into the stratosphere. Um, but, you know, luckily I had some time that was earlier in the day. And by the time the evening came around, I kind of done my little check-in piece and got myself calm and we got to talk about it. And you know what, and what my son shared, you know, with a lot of apology, but still feeling like he'd done the right thing is that the night before he stayed up late talking with a friend who was going through a hard time. And and I knew what was going on um, with that friend. And he felt like that was really important for him. And, um, you know, while that PSAT was really important to me, it wasn't as important to my son as being there for a friend in need. Mm-hmm. And and that really hit me because what I realized is that you know I got good grades as a teen, but I also used that as a shield to kind of cover up a lot of the stuff I was doing that was you know not like this more typical not great teen behaviors, um, and I I used it you know I could kind of hide behind it and I you know, and I lied a lot and I, and I ran around and did things I shouldn't. And I was looking at my kid and I'm thinking like, this is the most honest, like loyal kind person. He does not lie to me. And that's hard sometimes because I have to deal with what he's telling me. That's true. Um, and it just hit me like, you know, he, he's not me and maybe that's a good thing. Um, uh, I came across Thank you this,
1: for that. That's an and right now I'm sure your other son is alert awake and just is killing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if my my lid could handle two flips <laughs> of that. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> of I that's that such
1: such an important story about um you know your experience and your orientation and your very realistic, you know, belief about what's important. And yet, often our kids are actually teaching us what is more important in that moment.
0: So very true.
1: Christine, our time has come to an end here. Um, but there is so much more um, from people to learn from you and the center. So please tell people where they can follow um, The work you're all doing, the projects, and of course the campaign that is going on right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for the campaign, uh, there's a a video series uh, at understandad.com. Understandad.com has uh, it features a a squad that's me, uh, myself, a a dermatologist, and a peer partner working with uh, the young man I've talked about, Isaiah, and his family. And then at the centerforconnection.org, you can learn more about our practice, see our amazing team, find some great resources there as well.
1: Awesome. And I want to uh, summarize again some of the gems that you shared with us today. The first is for us parents who are dealing with uh, teens with chronic disease to manage our own parental distress so we don't increase our child's stress. For us to help create tolerable experiments to build resilience. When it comes to our child's care management, collaborate with them so they are a part of the process and can be empowered. And then these last critical pieces for us to slow down, stay present in the moments, and focus on joy and connection. Thank you so much for all Thanks. of your words.
0: Thank you, Dan. It's been a great pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you.
1: Everyone, let's continue to do what Parent Footprint seeks to do, as well as Christine Center, and that is for us to be the people we want our teens and children to become. Lead by example. Focus on our own health, which will have incredible health effects for our kids. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. You will find our Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which is designed to do all of what we talked about. And always think about this guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?